Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, I want to invite you this morning to find, the, find your Bible and turn, if you would, in the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. Before we get into the text this morning, I want to turn, I want to kind of flip the sermon upside down a little bit. Normally in the sermon, uh, I get to the invitation time where I ask this question, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have a relationship with him? I want to flip the script a little bit this morning and ask you that question as the kickoff. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you know the greatest love that the world has ever known? We must in this life come to know Jesus Christ before it is eternally too late. That is not just, and I don't want to just reduce Jesus to our ticket to heaven because he is so much more than that. But we cannot have eternal life if we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we've spent seven weeks on the subject of evangelism talking about the, most, about the importance of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message that we can know and have a relationship with the God of this universe through Jesus Christ our Lord. But it's not lost on me that I could preach the gospel of Christ every single Sunday and there still be somebody sitting under the sound of my voice that does not know that greatest gift. And today the challenge, and I'm just going to pull off the gloves and say this, please, please, please come to Jesus Christ if you don't know him. If you don't know Christ, there is nothing more important than knowing Jesus. And if you do know Christ, if you can answer that question in the affirmative, let me ask you the second question. Who are some of the people or who are some persons or what were some of the events that led you to coming to Jesus Christ? That led you to that moment where you realized, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. It's because God uses all kinds of signs. God uses all kinds of things upon our journey and upon our road through life. He'll use people. He'll use circumstances. He'll use events. He'll use trials. He'll use accolades. He'll use all kinds of things to get you to know you need my son. What was it that God used in your life? What was it that God or who is it that God has used to bring you to Jesus Christ? What was going on in your life? What events led you to Christ? And let me ask you this question now. When was the last time you told the story of how you came to Christ? When was the last time you told somebody, or even if that person is still alive today, you went to that person and said, thank you for sharing Jesus Christ with me. Thank you for sharing the gospel. Because we talk about a lot of things, don't we? There's a lot of things that we can talk about. There's a lot of subjects that we can just get hunkered down on. I think about my Uncle Mike that just passed away yesterday. Last time we talked, we talked about, obviously about how he knows that he's getting ready to go to heaven pretty soon. But we talked a lot about the Reds. That's how you know I love him because I let him talk about the Reds instead of the Cubs. We talked about Kentucky basketball. We talked about a lot of different things. We talk about a lot of different things in our relationships with people. The most important thing must come up. Who was it that shared the gospel with you? Because you owe Jesus the greatest debt of gratitude, but you owe that person, that preacher, that grandma, whoever it was, you owe a lot to them for being bold enough to share the gospel. So our text this morning comes from the book of Acts, which is the book of history in the New Testament, like I said. And Acts is the narrative of the formation of the church. But beneath that account is how the gospel message begins to spread throughout the world. 
The gospel message begins, it, it kind of centers in Jerusalem. It centers from the cross when Jesus died on the cross. And then, it centered, and then it moved to the tomb and the empty tomb. And then it began to emanate from that empty tomb in the city of Jerusalem. And right where we pick up this morning in our text, the events leading into that, the church is formed on the day of Pentecost back in chapters, uh, back in chapters 1 and 2 after Jesus ascends into heaven. And then what happens is people begin to get saved all over the place. Thousands of people are beginning to be added to the church every day. They're getting saved. They're getting baptized. The gospel, to put it in our terms today, the gospel is going viral throughout Jerusalem. And it grew so much and so fast that there hadn't even been time to come up with a name of what this new movement would be. Christianity or Christian didn't come to be a thing until later on. So what the believers were beginning to call it was simply calling Christianity or faith in Christ the way. And so, so many people were following Christ in the way that the Pharisees and the, Roman, and the Roman officials of the day were beginning to get threatened by Christ and by Christianity and by the rise of the gospel. And understand this, that any time the gospel begins to rise and any time the gospel begins to take promise, prominence, Satan will not be happy and he will constantly be working to try to suppress the gospel everywhere he can. And so he used the Pharisees once again, and he used the Roman authorities that were in place uh, there too. And they kind of decided, what can we do to quell the rise of the gospel? And the Romans used what they knew to use, and that was fear. And the Pharisees used what they knew to use, and that was their, it was their religious elite ideas. And so they said, we'll kill these people. And so they pulled out Stephen, they executed him by stoning for calling him a heretic for preaching Jesus I mean, they should have learned from before when they killed Jesus and he rose again that that wasn't going to stop it. And here's the thing. It had a desired effect. It made people afraid. It made people realize that there's going to be a payment for your faith. You're going to have to pay to follow Jesus Christ in some ways. The path to heaven is paid for us, but as we walk and follow Jesus Christ, there is a price. Jesus said that. And Stephen paid that ultimate price, but here's what happened. Instead of quelling it, it decided to send and scatter all the believers throughout other regions into Samaria and on into other places. And what it did was instead of quelling the gospel, it basically sent the gospel out like wildfire everywhere they went. Because as they left Jerusalem, they took the gospel with them. And so then we begin to see exponential growth and churches popping up in areas and missionaries begin to take place and all of these things. And we see one story here in our text. Philip, is, Philip ends up going, one of the apostles goes to, uh, goes to Samaria and begins to start a ministry there preaching the gospel. And such a revival happens in Samaria that he has to write back to Jerusalem and ask for Peter and John to come and help him. And Peter and John come to help him for a while. And then it was time for Peter and John to go back to Jerusalem. But Philip kind of was staying behind and there was another plan for Philip. And that's where they pick up our text. So let's look this morning in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse number 25. It says this, So after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Everywhere they went, they took the gospel with them. Think about this week, all the places you went. How many places did you go? where you took the gospel with you. You may not have shared the gospel, but the gospel was inside of you. If you answered that question that I asked in the affirmative, that you know Christ, you've taken the gospel, you've taken the name of Jesus with you everywhere you went this week. But how many of us shared it? They took the gospel with them and they shared it everywhere they went. And then it says this, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and he says, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And it says, this is the desert road. So he got up and he went. And there was an Ethiopian man who was a eunuch 
a high official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of their entire treasury. He'd come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. And when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come and to sit with him. And now the scripture passage that he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shears, so does he not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And who will describe his generation for his life? was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, he says, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about himself or someone else? And it says, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with that scripture. If you mark or highlight or take notes in your Bible, underline this, do not forget this. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about who? About Jesus beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you will believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip appeared at Azotus. And he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would be glorified. Father, I pray that you would do your work within our heart. And Holy Spirit, you would illuminate us to the truth that is in your word. And I pray this morning as your messenger, I would say nothing that would get in the way of what you're communicating to us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. There's a phrase by the ancient philosopher Plato, and probably a lot of you heard of it and remember the word Plato, not Plato like you played with as a kid, but Plato, the one you studied in high school, the philosopher. He said this, those who tell the stories rule the world. Those who tell the stories rule the world. He was referring to the fact that the narrative of the story is shaped by who gets to tell the story. The narrative of history and what we know is shaped by the people who get to tell the story. You see, most of what we know about the ancient days, the people, our forefathers that have gone on before us, before we got into a westernized type of culture where we had the printing press and we had things written down where we learned many things from, most people learned about their past from stories that were passed on, from grandma or grandpa or from the village historian or from people who had lived before them. Today we have books that we can go back to, or we have Google, and we have all those things that we can go and get our information. But before any of that existed, the story existed. It's like a big generational game of telephone. Remember that game, Telephone? We start out with a fact, and you have a room, and you kind of speak it to other people. And by the time you get to the end of the room, you want to find out how much the story was transposed exactly the way it should be. The thing about storytelling is even though we now have written prose and we have, vi we have video to document things, and we have all those things, the story has not gone away. We've changed the medium by which we use the story, but the story is still woven into the human experience. Author and professor Robert McKee said this. He's written many books on the subject of storytelling. He says that storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into our world. It still is the most powerful way to do that. Jonathan Gottschall says, we are as a species addicted to the story. Even when our body goes to sleep, our mind stays up all night telling itself stories. Any of you have any weird dreams last night? Yeah, we're all addicted to stories. Our minds just can't seem to shut off from those. 
See, we've developed a lot of different mediums today for which we tell the story. It's gone from telling stories verbally, which many of us still do that. Many of you are probably still good storytellers. But we tell the story through books and through novels and through film and through videos and through the greatest, newest medium of telling stories, TikTok. Why in the world did we need TikTok, right? But the common thread remains. While we have music and we have all these things that tell the story as the human, as the human species has progressed, the common thread remains that the story must be told. And we like to hear the stories. When she was asked why her Harry Potter books have had such a multi-generational effect on people, author J.K. Rowling said it was because people love and crave a good story. She said this, she said, no story lives unless someone wants to listen to it. The stories that we love best do live in us forever. So whether you come back by page or by the big screen, Hogwarts will always be there to welcome you home. You see, there's a lot of stories out there, and there's a lot of stories that have cross-generational, cross-cultural impacts upon people. Some things eventually get to kind of be moved into the status of being a classic that you know is going to live for more than just a generation. But the greatest story of all time, guess what it is? It's the gospel story. It's a story that we come here every single week and we tell over and over and over and over again. And it's the story that people today are still responding to over and over and over again throughout the world. It's the generational story. It's the most universal story that can be applied to every culture and everyone because all of us need this story. We desperately need the story of the gospel to be told. There will never be another story more vital than the gospel. It's a story that compels humanity and beckons us to look upon Jesus and believe for salvation. The gospel is a greatest story. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of heroic sacrifice. It's a story of resurrection. It's a story of justice, and it's a story of love. It's a story that changed the course of history. It's a story that will change the course of your life. It's a story that changes the course of eternity. It's a story that immerses us in it. Once we get saved, once we hear the story, and once we receive Jesus as our Savior, we then become part of the story. If you know Christ, you're part of the gospel story. And as part of the gospel story, there's an inherent responsibility to share that story and retell that story. Not just for preachers and teachers, but for every believer, everyone who's been changed by the story needs to retell the story. And so as we close out our series this morning, this is the question I want to ask you. Who needs to hear your story? Because the gospel is the same for each one of us, but there's different things that brought us to it. Your life is an addition, is a version of the gospel story. When Jesus began, insert, got inserted into your life and into the story of your life, that's when your story got good. That's when your story turned from a tragedy into an amazing story of triumph and redemption and resurrection and love. We're all here today because, and if we know Christ and we're part of the church of Jesus Christ, we're here because we listened to the story and we love the story and we should want to love to tell the story as well. You heard the story, somebody told you the story and you became part of the story yourself. So who needs to hear my story? Well, every good storyteller knows that you gotta have some important elements in your story. And just as you needed to hear the story, Someone needs to hear yours. It's not a question of whether you should tell it. It's a question of how often are you going to. 
Telling a good story involves three factors that we see from our text this morning. Number one is if we're going to tell the story of the gospel faithfully, we need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, because it may be your story, but it is a story that is made beautiful because of Jesus Christ, because of the person in the story. And here's a little fact check, and here's a little something that may rock some of our worlds. You're not the star of your story. Okay, say this. Look at, look at the person next to you. Look at him and say, you're not the main character in your story. You're not the main character. Your spouse is looking at you saying that and loving that, and you look at your spouse and say, neither are you. Okay? All right? We're not the main characters. Jesus is the main character of our story. And the Holy Spirit is the one who leads that story. The Holy Spirit is the one who is directing us to tell that story. Look again at our text in Acts chapter, 28, in Acts chapter 8. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. He says, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. Now let me stop there for a minute. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who were here when we did the series through the book of Jonah... How many of you were like getting flashbacks to Jonah when, the, when, when God showed up to Jonah and said, go down to Joppa, or he said, go to, you know, I want you to go to Nineveh, and, and Jonah didn't go to Nineveh, he went the other way to Tarshish, remember that? Maybe Philip is remembering that when the angel comes to him and says this, because this time he gets up and, and goes. He doesn't try to run away, kind of the same thing. He's like, I remember what happened to Jonah, I'm going to obey. And then it says, there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury, and he had come to worship in Jerusalem. And the spirit told Philip, go and join this chariot. So we see the spirit already at work. The spirit is at work to bring the gospel to this man, to this man, the Ethiopian eunuch. The spirit was at work. Understand that the work of the gospel is not something that we generate our own, on our own. The work of the gospel is something that when we, get, when we get involved, we're getting involved in a partnership with God himself. This is what makes the church so different from any other thing in the world. We are in partnership with God Almighty. We are sharing the story, this, this cosmically healing story of the gospel. We are in partnership with him, and we must be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Philip was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Was he maybe afraid? He might have been. Was he tired? Probably. Things were beginning to heat up with the gospel. What was also beginning to heat up was people were looking for the preacher's Philip knew that kind of exposing himself on the desert road might get him in trouble, but he says, but the Spirit says, go, and so he gets up and goes. And as he gets up and goes, he sees a chariot off in the distance, and the Spirit says, I want you to go and join that, char that chariot. And here's the problem, that chariot was moving. So Philip is running through the desert. I tried to run through a neighborhood on a cold evening last night, and I needed water like crazy. I can imagine how tired Philip got. Of course, he wasn't trying to run off none of your business pounds of quarantine weight either. So he's running to catch up. And I love the beautiful imagery of this. The gospel came running to this man. The gospel was running this man. I wonder sometimes as the church of Jesus Christ, are we running with the gospel to those who need it? Or are we sitting around saying, I'm just going to judge you till you come? That's sometimes our stance. The great promise that we've been given when the Spirit leads is that we're never alone when it comes to the gospel. When Jesus gave us the great commission in Matthew and when he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, he gave this comforting promise in Matthew 28 verse 20. He says, I am with you always, even to the end. 
He also promised that when he ascended into heaven, that we would have a comforter, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us as our spiritual guide and our spiritual power. He told those that when you stand before kings and queens and princes and princesses, and when you stand before authorities, do not worry about what you say because the Lord will give you the words. Folks, we are never alone when we follow the leading of the Spirit to tell a story. Gospel success, what we also learn from this passage, is gospel success is not measured by a numbers game. We're big into numbers sometimes. And listen, I believe God cares about numbers. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. God cares about that. But the one number that we oftentimes delineate that God cares so much about is one. Remember when Jesus left the 99 to go to the one? Here we see that being carried out. Through the book of Acts, we see large groups of people being saved in mass, adding thousands to the church. But we also see these intimate, one-on-one, gospel-sharing occasions where a life is changed because they desire to know the truth and God sent the truth to them. God sent grace running to them. See, success is not the numbers game that we think it is because in God's value system, it matters not whether one preaches to hundreds in a city or to one in the desert. Because faithfulness to the call is the only issue at hand. See, gospel success is not a numbers game. It's an obedience issue. It's an obedience question. And if the statistics are true in our church, as they are in all of evangelical Christianity, that 8 out of 10 Christians in America will live and die without ever sharing the gospel of Christ, we are not obeying the way we should. That means that eight out of 10 of us, if we got the call, just like Philip did, would have said, no, we would have been Jonah instead of being Philip. So the question we have to ask is, can I say that I'm sensitive to the leading of the spirit when it comes to the gospel? And I have to believe, and I'm saying this about myself, if I was more sensitive to the spirit and to his leading, I don't think it would cause me to share the gospel less. I believe this initiative to take the gospel to every home in our state is a vision that is in lockstep with the will of God. Is it strategic in its application? Yes. Is it logistical in its preparation? Yes, but that doesn't mean that it is any less led by the Spirit. So we've been spending the last month praying for God to do something and use us in this initiative. And I want to tell you something. Just in the prayer phases, there's already some things going on. We have some folks within our church that are already beginning to talk to and witness to a, a guy that's their neighbor. And they're going to be stepping out. They gave a Bible just yesterday. and going to be stepping out and beginning to disciple and meet to show them and teach the Bible as well. God is moving and God is doing things even in the, even in the soil tilling phases right now. Because when we follow the leading of the Spirit, it's always going to result in more gospel conversations. It will never result in less. So we must be willing to go when he answers the prayers. We've been praying, God, give us opportunities. <laughs> we must not back away when God delivers on those prayers. The question is, can I say that I've been faithful to the leading of the Spirit, and can I say, can I be faith- I've been faithful to answering the call? We spent the last seven weeks focusing on the urgency of the gospel, and there are going to be times when the Spirit will lead you to share the story, and at that point, we all have the choice. Am I going to pull a Jonah, or am I going to be like Philip? Am I going to pull a Jonah and take the story and just hide it away for my own benefit? Or am I going to be Philip and I'm going to share the story wherever I need to share it? So we must be faithful to the leading of the Spirit. The second thing we have to do, and this is probably the most pivotal thing, we have to keep the story focused on Jesus. I may have already moved ahead with the lead, but let me say this again. 
you're not the starring role of your story. We live in a generation where it is so me-focused. Look at me, look at me. How many likes and how many retweets and how many shares can I get? Can I go viral with myself? And how many selfies can I get people to like? And all of these things. That is something that is leading us away from what we need to understand. My life is not about me. Listen, I don't believe we need to abuse ourselves. I believe we need to walk in the confidence that the grace of Jesus Christ gives us. But if you're walking in something other than the confidence from Jesus Christ, you're walking in something that's still going to lead to death. Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the story. He always has been and he always will be. Every single page, every single word, every sing- even the table of contents is dripping with Jesus. Everything. God designed it that way so that it guides us to the one and the only one who can save us. The story must be focused on Jesus. Look what happens in Acts chapter 8 in our, in our text. Philip approaches the man's chariot and we could hear that he was reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he was at, at chapter 53 verses 7 and 8, the place where Isaiah was prophesying about the Messiah who would, be, who would be sacrificed like a lamb and he would be denied justice to bring salvation to humanity. This man was desperate to know about God. He had left his home in the northern region of Africa and traveled to Jerusalem to try to get into the temple, to try to hear the answers that his heart had been questioning. He had this scroll in his hand. He was highly educated because he could read the original language, but he just didn't know the rest of the story. And here it says in verse 34, Philip said to the eunuch, I ask you who, or the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who's the prophet saying this about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. I love what the the message paraphrase of the New Testament says about this. He says, he grabbed his chance or he seized his opportunity. Is that our idea when it comes to the gospel? Are we seizing the opportunity? Philip gave the man the rest of the story. See, this man wanted to know about God, but he only had part of the story because he only had the prophet's. And he was wanting to know about the Messiah. Philip gave him the rest of the story. And the rest of the story was the hero of the story, Jesus Christ. So what we have to understand, write this down or whatever, drill it into your head. Jesus is the story. Jesus is the story. When we take the gospel to every home, I'm not trying to convince someone to a certain lifestyle. I'm not trying to convince them of my ideas and my opinions. I'm trying to let them know that there is a Savior who loves them. And his name is Jesus. All of those other things come as God begins to work on the heart of the redeemed. But we sometimes look at the world around us and say, you don't show a heart of the redeemed. Well, how can they until they are redeemed? See, our souls desire to know the whole story. But Jesus is the story. Philip took, the man where, took where the man was in his journey, right from where he was. He says he showed him Jesus from that scripture. Here's the best advice I can give. When you share the gospel, get to Jesus as fast as you can and stay at the foot of the cross or stay at the door of the empty tomb until people understand it's about Jesus. It says there is salvation in Acts chapter 4 in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. In John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we share that Jesus is the only way, we're in lockstep with what Jesus told 
people when he was here because Jesus is the only way that has not changed and it will not change. Our souls desire to know the whole story. He desperately wanted to know the, the Messiah because of his tradition and his, his upbringing as a Gentile. He wasn't as well versed in the Messiah and the messianic uh, prophecies as most people. He traveled miles to come to Jerusalem. He wasn't even allowed to go into the temple because he wasn't a Jew. And so there he is on his own trying to figure out. But here's the thing. God will never leave someone who's searching for grace on their own because God is the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. When the Holy Spirit leads us to share the gospel, instead of seeing it as an inconvenience or instead of seeing it as something that strikes up fear in our hearts and thinking about what, is he, what does it mean for me? Here's what it means for the person. It means that they have a need and God is meeting them at their need and he's using you to do it. Amen. That's what he did with Philip. That's what he was doing with him. Our souls desire to know the whole story and God made sure that the man was directed to the source of salvation. Because I can assure you this, if we don't take the truth, Satan will make sure that the lie confuses them or distracts. See, people are still searching today. And you may say, it doesn't look like that when I look around. It looks like people have just given up on all of it. <sighs> I still believe with my whole heart that people have not given up on Jesus. And even if they have, Jesus hasn't given up on them. And he is the lover of our souls. There are people right outside our door here at the church, right outside the door at your house, or right in the cubicle next to you at work or home who are searching, and they may not even realize it because they've only heard part of the story, or they haven't heard any of the story, or they've heard a really messed up part of the story, and they don't know that Jesus is the story. Jesus is salvation, and he's what they're looking for. As we tell the story, we must make sure that Jesus is the main character. Understand this, that a salvation story that doesn't include Jesus will never include salvation. A salvation story that doesn't include Jesus will never include salvation. God forbid that we would ever hold a service or, or I would preach a sermon from this pulpit where Jesus is not the center and where we are not called to reckon ourselves with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the gospel is good news because Jesus is good. Jesus is not just salvation. Jesus is our story too. You're sitting here thinking, I thought you said somebody needs to hear my story. Someone does need to hear my story, but the greatest part of my story will always be when I say, and then I met Jesus. The greatest part of your story will always be when you say, and then I met Jesus. He changes everything. And if your story is not conceived in and rooted in and built up on Jesus, then you don't have a salvation story. If you're holding on to something else, a tradition, someone else's faith, or the fact that grandma and grandpa were Christians or mom and dad were Christians, so that means I must be as well. Listen, Christianity and the way of Christianity may be inherited, but salvation is inherited from Jesus and Jesus only. Come to Jesus. If your salvation is not centered on Jesus, you don't have salvation. And I don't say that in a judging manner. I say that with tear-filled eyes because this is the desperate need of humanity. Don't hold on to a tradition. Don't hold on to what somebody has told you will be okay and get you by or that you're enough or that Jesus doesn't care about your sin. He cares about your sin. He cared so much that he went to the cross to die to cover it. 
so that you could receive him. So wrestle with this question and wrestle well. Is my story really a gospel story? Am I truly trusting in Christ to be my savior? If the gospel you rest on doesn't rest on Jesus, you have the wrong gospel. At what point in your story do you say, and then I met Jesus? That's the part of the story that matters the most. And lastly, this morning as we close, the story must demand a response. The gospel story demands a response. Look at verse number 36. It says, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he ordered the chariot to stop. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now I want to stop there and give you a little bit of a note on textual criticism. I spent a lot of time studying this week because <clears throat> we have to address something that might be a little confusing. If you look at verse number 37 in your, in your Bible, it's a verse that is included in some translations, but it's not included in others. And that's not just a matter of English translations. It's an, it's an issue in all language translations. And this is due in part to what I was mentioning at the opening of the sermon, that information was passed on through verbally telling the story or verbally telling events, especially in Eastern ancient cultures. So when it came to copying down scriptural manuscripts, some of the manuscripts included verse number 37 and some of them didn't, depending on what some of the copyists and scribes had heard passed on to them because we don't have the actual originals penned by Luke or penned by Paul. We don't have those actual originals today. What we have is copies of those that God has preserved throughout the ages. And this has been a debate for centuries, like all the way back to the second century. We're not talking about like yeah, back in the 1700s they argued about this. We're talking about all the way back to the second century on whether verse number 37 was actually included there. Even the King James translator said that there was ambiguity as to whether the verse was originally there or whether it was added for emphasis because only some of the Greek and Latin manuscripts had the verse. And even when they had the verse in that manuscript, it was over in the side margin like a footnote. This verse number 37 where Paul says, hey, if you believe, and he says, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And it's an important piece, right? It's an important piece. They determined that having this verse did not change the plot or the idea of the account. And so they, the King James translators, decided to include it. So if you're using a King James, you see the verse there. If you're using a new King James, you see the verse, but it is in parentheses. If you're using an NASB or a CSB like I use, you don't see the verse in the actual text. It's noted in the margins or in the footnotes like it was in the original manuscripts. All this to say the verse is there because the verse is important. The understanding is I must believe on the name of the son of Jesus Christ. And even there it is implied in verse number 35 when it says that Philip preached Jesus to the man. So the man's desire for baptism was his response to Jesus Christ, to his belief in Jesus Christ. No one else was being baptized. Old Testament Jews were not being baptized. Christians were being baptized because that's what Jesus had done. And so the man wanted to be baptized to show his faith in Christ. All of this is to point out the importance of a response. We must respond to the story. It's not enough to know the story. We must respond. We must respond. Have you responded to the gospel story?
Philip centered the gospel story on Jesus and it resulted in the Ethiopian man responding in saving faith. It wasn't enough that simply the man heard the, heard the story and knew the story. Once he heard it, he had to respond. And he responded with faith in Christ and his faith in Jesus. And Jesus shed blood upon the cross and his victory over death and sin radically saved that Ethiopian man. And the Bible says it went on, it says he went home rejoicing. You know what that means? He went home and he took the gospel with him into Ethiopia. And over the centuries, we see people like St. Augustine and other church fathers that became scriptural copyists and theologians that we still base our faith upon today. All of them are rooted in this man's salvation because the story just kept being shared. This is a stark contrast to what we saw a couple of weeks ago when Ed Goodman preached about Agrippa when he said, I was almost persuaded to faith in Christ. There are some that will hear the gospel and they'll say, I'm almost persuaded. But there are those who will hear the gospel and say, I am fully persuaded and I want Jesus Christ. Just like the Samaritan woman listened to Jesus about living water and she says, give me this living water. And she went and told the whole city, come and see the man who told me everything that I've ever done. Some will accept Christ and that we will rejoice in. Some will say, I want to hear it later. Like some of the people said at Mars Hill when, when Paul explained that Jesus is the Savior. Some will say, I want to hear it later. And others will say, I don't want to hear it. Some will, some will accept. Some will reject. But all will respond. The gospel is a story that you just don't look at with apathetic. Just, okay, yeah, great story. That's wonderful. We all must respond. Even to not accept is to make a decision, is to respond. The person of Jesus Christ demands a response. You can't love someone as much as Jesus loves. You can't do for humanity what Jesus did. And humanity look at him and just say, it has no effect upon me. Jesus has an effect upon all of us. What effect has he had? So the question that I have this morning as we close out is, some may reject, some may put it off, but all will respond. Some will accept. Have you accepted? What has been your response to the story? All of us have a story to tell. Every one of us have a story to tell. You probably got a lot of stories. Maybe you're the storyteller in your family. You get together and everybody knows, I know that Uncle, Uncle John's going to tell that story about this. You've probably heard the stories over and over again, the family stories. This story, the gospel story, is one we must hear and hear and hear until we finally accept. Don't hear it so much that familiarity breeds contempt or apathy. I just told you the story again. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead to save your soul. And it is only through him. What is your response? If you haven't accepted him, accept him today. If you have accepted him, what's your response to that too? What is it doing in you now because the gospel is not just about heaven tomorrow it's about living with him today too what is it producing inside of you we all have a story there have been probably a thousand graduation speeches if not more given just this month as people have been graduating where somebody stood at a lectern and said we're getting ready to turn the page in the chapter of our life story everybody's always writing a book at graduation and yes, our life is a story. It is a journey. 
But I want to submit to you that because of sin, that story is a horror story unless it includes Jesus. It will always have a horrific ending if it doesn't include Jesus. Here's where the story becomes a story of triumph, becomes a story of joy, becomes a story of victory is, and then I met Jesus. Because if the story includes Jesus, the story will end with a happy ending. Matter of fact, the story will never end for we will live on for eternity with him in glory. If you don't know Jesus, your story is incomplete. There's an unknown quote that says, you have the power to say, this is not how my story will end. And that sounds wonderful. That sounds empowering, doesn't it? But the truth is, we don't have the power to change our story. Jesus had the power and he used that power on the cross. That's how our story is changed. I didn't have the power, but God gave me the power. To them, he gave the power to be called the sons and the daughters of God, even them who believe upon his name. But your story only changes with Jesus. Our community's story will only change with Jesus. The question is, do we care enough to share the story? And as we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning, if you haven't joined the story yet, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, let today be the day of salvation. Are you like this Ethiopian man who said, I so desperately need the answers to my life, but I need someone to explain them. I've just spent the last 35 to 40 minutes trying to explain. The answer is Jesus. Come to him, trust him. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if we will call upon him, we will be saved. Have you joined in the story? And if you've joined in the story, what are you doing to tell others? Are you sharing it? As we get ready to pray this morning, if you don't know Christ, let it be today. Say, I've heard the story and I'm accepting him. I'm accepting him because your story is incomplete without him. If you know Christ, let's help complete some other people's story. Father, we love you. I ask Holy Spirit this morning that you do your work. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.